not have the rescue that God offers. Our problem is so deep. Our our issue is so great and grand and beyond us that the only hope we ever had was not for God to change our outside, not for Him to change our behavior, not for Him to change our knowledge, not for Him to change our belief. He had to change our very nature. Do you understand what that means? It's not a matter of what we believe. It's not a matter of what we know. It's not a matter of what we do. It's not a matter of where you go. It's a matter of your very nature. Ephesians 2 has made it clear that we are all born dead in sin and our very nature opposes God. And you know, nature is a powerful thing. Who you are by nature will eventually reveal itself. You see, we can change your behavior. We can change your behavior, but eventually your nature will be revealed. Time is no ally for those who are trying to hide their nature. Because eventually, eventually, it will show. Now, I grew up in a little town um, in central West Virginia, kind of, in Mineral County there called Kaiser. I didn't actually live in Kaiser, okay? I lived in a suburb of Kaiser. I lived on Limestone Road, all right? And when I was growing up as a child, um, it was pretty common where I lived to have a cat, okay? How many of you have a pet cat? Have a pet cat? Okay, the cat I'm talking about was not a pet, all right? That's not what these things are. Okay, I mean, your pet cat, you know, it eats, it eats food out of a can, right? You pop it open and drop this little mush of food on the plate, and that's how it eats. Listen, the cats that I'm talking about, I mean, they ate the hard stuff now, okay? Like the friskies, like that dry cat food, you know? You could hear these cats eating, all right? Crunch, crunch, crunch. And the cats that we had, I mean, they were like barn cats. You didn't give them names, okay? They didn't, have, they didn't have names. They were just like, they were mouse killers is all they were. I mean, they were a tool, quite honestly. They were a tool that you had to have. They kept the pets down, da- the pests down, that is. How many of you had cats like that growing up? A few of us? Come on, come on now. Yeah, yeah, that's what I thought. We had this old, old cat, all right? Now, my brother had a name for it. He called it beautiful or something like that. I I think the cat never really got over it because it was a him, okay? And he kind of always had an attitude about it because my brother called it beautiful. But but this cat was old, and I mean, it it was experienced. You know, like tattoos and like scars from bar fights and stuff. You know, I mean, he was a rough cat. No, he really did. He had like the, the ears on this cat. Have you ever seen a cat that's been in so many fights his ears were all split open. They kind of hang in two or three parts. Have you seen those kind of cats? They're just ripped open. You know, like one eye, you know, all, perpetual black eye. You know, it's just always just a Like he come off a ship or something, this cat was, you know? A pirate cat or something. We had another cat. Its name was Hatchet. Okay, little, this is a little tabby cat, okay? Named after Molly Hatchet for the fans of 1970s Southern Rock, okay? Hatchet was this cat. And see... In that day, you know, we were bored like you guys, but we didn't have a PlayStation. We didn't have a, you know, Xbox, that kind of stuff. We had a stick and a piece of fishing line and a little hunk of the 
inside white, like fluffy stuff from inside of a cushion on a couch. Okay, kind of like a cotton ball. You know where I'm going with this? So you take this long stick and you put a piece of fishing line on it and you tie this little cotton ball thing and you hold it out there and you dangle it in front of the cat. And what's the cat do? Oh, hours of fun. You should try it. Unless you have one of these girly cats that, you know, just lay there on the ground. They don't even go after the piece of cotton ball. You might have one of those cats, all right? But find a farm somewhere that's got a barn. Get a stick, some fishing line, and a hunk of cotton. You're the time of your life. I mean, it's just great. So we're there with Hatchet, young Hatchet, all right? And we're dabbling the cotton ball in front of the Hatchet, you know, and it's just, it's jumping at it, you know, just all over the place, you know, these wimpy little, like, city cats. That's all it was. It was a city cat. Well, beautiful, I'm embarrassed to even call him that, okay? Beautiful's laying there. I mean, he is, he is a worn-out cat. I mean, he's tired. He's fought many fights, you know? He's just laying there. That one eye, you know, drooping close. He's like looking at Hatchet, you know, like stupid kids. And the cat's over there chasing this piece of cotton ball. All right? And I'll never forget this one particular morning. We're watching this Hatchet go after this cotton ball. And, and all of a sudden, beautiful, like, reaches back into his life, like, I don't know, 10, 15 years prior. And it was a young cat for just a second. And he comes darting across the, the driveway. We're outside now, okay? You don't do this stuff inside. Cats don't come in the, si- in the house, never. They live outside. So he comes across the driveway, and he knocks Hatchet down. Just, just bats him one time. Hatchet just goes rolling away, and he grabs the cotton ball. This cat does. Gra- beautiful. Grabs the cotton ball, just rolls at it. The fishing line snaps right there. It's like he just stands up and looks at Hatchet. Drops the mic. <laughs> Such a cool moment. You know, the truth is, that cat, this is why I've always kind of liked cats. They're killers at heart. They really are. Your little puny little house cat, throw a mouse out in front of it, and he'll go to work. Your nature is revealed. That cat was a killer. And he was tired, and he was worn out, and he was all scarred up. He didn't really have a tattoo. That was an exaggeration. But when the moment came, his nature was revealed. And folks, what God came to do is to change our very nature. We were dead in our sins and trespasses. Following the course of of this world, responding to the prince of the power of this earth, and, and even following the passions of our flesh, God knew the rescue that is required is a very change of nature. And that, folks, is what 2, 8, 9, and 10, and really the rest of this chapter are talking about. The passage in verse number 10 calls us His workmanship. See it there? For we are His workmanship. There's a commentator named F.F. Bruce, okay? And he he writes, he's he's a Greek scholar, and and he says about this passage that really this, this word, workmanship, his translation is, Work of art. 
We are God's work of art. His masterpiece. His workmanship. You see, it goes beyond our belief, our knowledge, our acts. It goes beyond your religion, your association, and your friendship circle. It goes beyond that. It is our very nature that God has changed if you're in Christ today. And I want us to talk about this and start out really with God's work in me. God's work in me. I'll just mention that for the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about this masterpiece nature that God has done. We're going to look at verses 11 through 18. You can just run your eyes over them. And notice the word peace is there over and over and over. This idea that when God created in us this new nature, that is, that is His workmanship, His work of art... It affects me. That's what we're going to talk about today. It's going to affect our relationships. That's what we're going to talk about next week. Our relationships, how this masterpiece takes place in our relationships with other people. And it brings peace where there shouldn't be peace. There should not be peace when two sinners are together. Take two sinful people, put them in a home, and they attack one another. They tear each other down. They destroy one another. But we are God's masterpiece. We are His workmanship. We have a new nature. So now there's hope for our relationships, you see. There's hope for our relationships. The most important relationship you can fathom. That of husband and wife. And of father and son and mother and daughter. There's hope now for this relationship. Because we're new creatures. And finally, the end of the chapter, verses 19 through the end, 19, 20, 21, 22, it now talks about now that we're these new creatures, now that we have this new nature, God uses us in His church. That He calls us together now. He calls us together, a whole body of new creatures. Look around the room. These aren't dead men and women sitting here. I trust. Not because you're here. No, no, no. No, you can come here and be dead, right? You can come here and be the walking dead. But if we are in Christ, this is a new, a gathering of new creatures. And so God uses this gathering in a very special and unique way. So Ephesians 2 now is going to flesh out for us what this new nature is is meant to be. But let's start out with God's work in me. And I want you to know that you and I, we are His prized possession. Read the passage with me. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. We are His prized possession. Now, I love the outdoors. I love being out, you know, on a long, lonely hike, okay, with maybe just my wife and I or my family or maybe a friend. We're out walking in the woods. You, know, you might see a beautiful sunrise or, or a lovely view off some mountainside. That's an awesome thing. And Psalm 19 speaks of how the heavens and everything that God created, they speak to His glory. We see all of creation and we can, we can marvel at it and we can just be like, wow, that's so great. But listen, God doesn't call that his masterpiece. 
He saves that word for us. The human body is amazing. It's amazing. You know, the instant you get hurt, as soon as you get hurt, if you, if you have a normal, healthy body, the instant you get hurt, your body starts to heal itself. It's amazing. If I had more of a brain, it would have been really cool to be a doctor, you know, to like understand all that's going on there and like, you know, to really just to fathom what the body does because I just find it remarkable what can happen. You know, I go to the doctor's office and I'm like asking the guy, you know, he's like stitching up my finger. So like, what's it look like? Can you see the bone? And I take him pictures and the guy's like, man, calm down, calm down. But I just find it so intriguing. The human body is amazing. But it's not God's workmanship. God did not use that word for the -the run-of-a-mill human. As awesome as the human body is, it's not the masterpiece. As awesome as as a beautiful sky picture is, it's not the masterpiece. The masterpiece is you and me in Christ, doubly created. We have been created by God and then recreated. Double born. Born naturally as a human being and then reborn. Folks, this new nature that God has done in you and me, if you're in Christ today, if you're His child This is the only place this word is used to describe any act of God is right here. It is the work that God has done in us. That he has made us a new creature. What a beautiful act of grace. Do we understand this? Do we grow so familiar and so just overwhelmed with all of this idea that it just, it's just not a big deal anymore to us. Folks, be reminded today of what God has done. Be reminded of the rescue God has brought to you and to me. The offer of rescue. We are his prized possession and we are notice the personal pronoun we are his personal possession for we are his workmanship his workmanship not we are a workmanship we are his workmanship and notice when god put this together do you see when he put it together God prepared this. We are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. We'll get there in just a minute. Which God prepared beforehand. Before what? I really can't answer that. Beforehand is all I know. Okay? Beforehand, God prepared this. So there is this, this personal work of God's working in me. His prized possession, His personal possession, His prepared possession that's what this is that this was a work god had prepared long in advance this is why you and i can call him father abba romans 8 speaks of this galatians 4 speaks of this prior to this wonder of what god has done before you were the masterpiece of god you could not call god your father 
He was not your father. As a matter of fact, the only hint we have of fatherhood is when Jesus was speaking of, speaking with, that is, the religious leaders of his day. I mean, if you could behavior modify a new creation, they did it. These guys, they, they, were, they were the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, and they had behavior modified themselves to where they had knowledge, they had action, they had the, the association. And Jesus looked at them and said, You are of your father, Satan. You see, we are born dead and born sons of the devil. I know that's wicked. I know that's evil. For some of you, it may even seem just fanciful, like a, you know, a mystical idea that can't really be true. It is what God's Word declares. That's who we were. That's who the people are that we know outside of Christ are today. But we are His workmanship. I want to throw a verse up on the screen. Uh, this is Romans 8.29, okay? Is it up there? Yeah. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined. Remember what this word predestined means? Let me give you a definition of predestined, okay? It means a planned destiny. That's what it means. A planned destiny. You want to know what God has in store for you? This is it. This is His planned destiny. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He might be... Now, this is the phrase I want to just camp over just a minute. That He might be the firstborn among many brothers. You see what this is saying? That God had a plan. That his, This was His plan from long ago. From beforehand, uh, Ephesians 2.10 says, this one says that he had this plan that he foreknew and predestined it, that he would create these brothers and sisters included here, that Jesus is the firstborn of them. Now what does that mean? It means that he is a pattern of what would follow. That God would do this miracle in our lives. And it's not that God would make us act like Jesus. It's not that God would make you think like Jesus. It's not that God would make you believe like Jesus or hang out with people like Jesus. No. What he did encapsulates all of that. And he did a work in us that made our nature like Jesus. That old barn cat laying there in my yard, his nature could not be held back. It was going to reveal itself. Nature has a tendency to do that. Nature will reveal itself. It's funny, we see that in the world, don't we? We see that in the world. We see all kinds of things on television, on news programs, on the internet, and we're just like, man, this world is just, oh, it's horrible what's happening. And we can quickly see all of the, 
of the, really the, the curse of the sin nature. But now I want to challenge you with something. Just like nature reveals itself in dead men and women, corpses eventually demonstrate the reality. It's what a corpse does. Lay it there for long enough, it'll stink. A corpse reveals its nature. So does a new creature. So does a new creature. And that's my second point for today. God works. And listen, now, this is important. This is very important for for our room of people. What I'm getting ready to talk about is an essential, it's an essential truth for us to understand. And that's this, that God's work works. God's work works. If you've been made alive, that's how this passage describes it, okay? That he made us alive. It's an important truth. It's it's opposed to being dead. God has made us alive. Look at it in verse number 5, okay? And we were dead in our trespasses. The Holy Spirit is trying to draw a contrast. He's trying to paint a picture that you can contrast and see the difference. We were dead in our trespasses, unresponsive to God. This, This person can respond. They can respond. They are the walking dead. They respond to the passage of their flesh. They respond to Satan. They respond to this world. They respond, but they do not respond to God. They are dead in their trespasses. No response. But this work that God has done, He's made them alive. He's made them alive. So the contrast is, the dead person never responded to God, and the alive person does does and that's why verse 10 is so important for us we are his workmanship created in christ jesus for good works which god prepared beforehand that we should walk in them and this word should is not man i should have done that should have done that should have played the lottery they you know the winning number was my birth date should have played the lottery that's not what this word is no 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 This word is, there is an implication here. There is an implication. If you are alive, then you will walk in them. If you are made alive, these good works will be there. If you are made alive, you will respond to God. You see, what this is tearing out of our, the grips of many people's hands is I believe the gospel, I believe the gospel, but, fill in the blank. That but isn't in your Bible. It's not there. New nature reveals itself. And God's work will work. Now, I know where some people are going in their mind right now. Some of you are saying, Pastor Lowell, are you trying to cause me to doubt that God has worked in my heart? 
Are you trying to cause me to doubt if I am a new creature? My answer, maybe. Maybe so. Maybe so. Maybe we need to wrestle through this. Maybe Scripture does. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 13. 2 Corinthians chapter 13. I want you to see, this is not on my authority. This is not on my authority. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse number 5. You see, we love grace. We love grace and we should. We praise God over His grace. But we've got to understand something. His grace is powerful. And when a creature is made alive, when that corpse rises from the dead and it walks around, you know it. It reveals its new nature now. And you see it. 2 Corinthians chapter 13 is an interesting chapter. We won't take the time to really delve into all of it. But I do want to look at verse number 5. What if I just simply said this and didn't read it from the Bible? Some of you would say, Pastor Lord, you're trying to cause us to doubt? I'm trying to cause us to do exactly what Scripture says. Verse number 5, chapter 13 of 2 Corinthians says, Examine yourself. Actually, it says examine yourselves. We're all to do this. To see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? In other words, what what are you thinking? Jesus, the Christ, is in you? It should be revealed. It should be revealed. That is, unless you fail the test. Unless you fail the test. You see, God's work works. His work works. Let me tell you some things that This is not the test question. These things are not the test question. Morality, not the test question. Some of the most moral people I know are unbelievers. And they they do all kinds of good things. Morality is not the test. Your knowledge is not the test. Some Some of the most dynamic commentators that I read who write about Scripture. I'm thinking of one man in particular. William Barclay is his name. And I'm telling you, whenever I'm reading a passage of Scripture, I always go to his tool. Don't I, Bill? We talk about it all the time. This man wrote in the early to mid-1900s, okay? And he understands the culture. He understands the world of, his, of the Bible. I mean, he understands what was going on in the Greek culture, the Roman culture, the Jewish culture. He understands all the... And, and many of the things that I share with you, honestly, I'm just quoting Barclay. I should just stick it up on the wall. You know, Barclay, Barclay, Barclay. I'm telling you all the time things that he said. And you know what? He's not even a believer. Unless the man changed before he died, he's in hell today. And I promise you, before he died, he forgot more about his Bible than you and I will ever know. Your knowledge is not the test of your nature. It's not. That's troubling. That's troubling. Your religious activity, it is not the test of your nature. Say, why do you say that? Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name didn't we cast out demons didn't we do all these religious things god and what did he say there in matthew 9 
or seven, that is. Depart from me. I never knew you. It's not morality. It's not knowledge. It's not a religious activity. It's not some card of a decision that you made someday in your life. You know, in 1983, here it is. See, I got saved by beep, 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 beep. That's me cursing, okay? I got saved. Mm -mm. That's, That's not the thing. That's not the things that we look for. That's not the things the Scripture calls us to. I'm going to tell you what it is. I'll tell you what it is. Pretty simple. Pretty simple. New creatures love God. They hate sin. And they love others. That's what you look at. That's what you look at. They love God. They hate sin. And they love others. Now, there's a lot more we could develop, but let's just deal with those three, okay? They love God. This is a supernatural act that God does in our life. Romans 8 says that the mind of the hot, of the mind of the, that's set on the flesh, the, the, un, the unchanged mind, the old mind, is hostile to God. Romans 8, 7. The dead mind hates God. The new creature loves God. And you, you can see it. You can feel it. They talk about Him all the time. It just flows out of them. I remember one time dealing with a teenager. I used to do that a lot, as I said last week, for 11 years. And this one time, this kid was getting an attitude with me. You know, as a youth pastor then, he's like, Pastor Lowe, all you ever talk about is God. He thought he had, like, you know, the punch. He was like, poosh. And I'm like, dude, you just gave me the greatest compliment you could ever give me. That's, that's what I want. They love God. And listen, they hate sin. They don't hate sinners. But they hate sin. Particularly in their own life. They hate sin in their own life. Not they hate being caught. Not they hate the consequences. Not they hate people that do that dirty, rotten stuff. They hate sin. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 7, another, another passage from 2 Corinthians. Chapter 7, verse number 10. Listen to it. For godly grief, for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Whereas worldly grief produces death. New creatures. You see, it doesn't it make sense? Just think about it for a minute. Let's just pause for a second, okay? What is this thing that God does? He makes us a new creature. Who's the, who is the model of what he does in our life? Uh, we might even call him the firstborn. Romans 8 told us that that was who? Yeah, it's right, it's right. Jesus. Yeah, that's the answer, Yes. He is the firstborn of many brothers. So he is in this process of making our nature like his. And what do we know about Jesus? He loved God. He loved God. He hated sin. And loved others. Now let me say this. Galatians 5 talks about this hatred for sin as well. 
You should write that down and look at it. Jump in about verse number 16 and read to the end, okay? Not now, but later. Okay, Galatians 5. And it talks about that we are to walk by the Spirit, okay? That's another, that's another sort of picture of what we're talking about here. That the new creature walks by the Spirit. It's another way the biblical authors try to express to us what this new nature is supposed to do. Walk by the Spirit. And the thing I really appreciate about it, Galatians 5 is it speaks of it in this walk. There's a battle with sin. There's a war with sin. You say, why are you bringing that up, Lowell? Here's why. I'm not saying that if you sin, that you're not a believer. Matter of fact, if I said that, you would stand up and read 1 John 1, 8 and say, if you claim to be without sin, the truth is not in you, right? Because we all sin. So I'm not saying that. Everybody here, I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is that the new creature hates it. And the Spirit of God wars against it. So look in your life. Evaluate your life. Love God and war against the sin that is in your life. In your life now. Don't you war against my sin. Well, there's a place to do that. But in this context, you war against the sin in your life. This is the nature of a new creature. These are the good works, back to Ephesians 2. These are part of the good works that God does. A love of God, a hate of sin, and a love of others. Love of others. Listen to 1 John, okay? Listen to 1 John. He says, we know that we have passed. This is chapter 3, verse number 14. 1 John 3, 14. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love, listen to this phrase, remember the corpse laying on the ground. It says, whoever does not love abides in death. Corpses don't love. New creatures love the brothers. Particularly those that are naturally unlovable. Let me tell you, there was a morning in Centerpoint history where an individual walked into our church. Some of you may remember this. A homeless man lived on the streets. I spoke to him. He'd been living homeless since the early 90s, I think it was. When a man has been homeless for that long, as awful as it is, there is a smell that is hard for the human being to handle. And I was proud of our church because he walked in here and you guys loved him. You guys loved him. He received care. He received attention, conversation, 
and a ride to Hagerstown. That's what he needed. Listen, old dead corpses don't do that. They don't do that. New creatures love God. They hate and wage war against sin. And they love others. That's why Jesus called it the first and the second greatest commandment. Folks, we are called here to be alive, be made alive. And in the, the, the last phrase that we'll look at, just for briefly, because I know I'm, I'm running out of time here. All these things that God has done, this planned destiny, this new creature, the last phrase is that we should walk in them. Now, when you see the phrase, walk in them, you need to know what this means, okay? It's, very, it's essential for you to understand what this means. You, we will find it throughout Ephesians. You will find it in the book of Colossians. You will find it in 1 John. You will find it throughout your New Testament. Most of the New Testament authors use this term. And what it does, what it, what it, what it brings to, to the forefront of our minds is everyday living. Walk in them or walk in Him is this idea of your everyday life. We are meant to live out this new nature. As you're walking down the street, as you're in your house, as you're just going along your regular old life, not at this special event now, not just at church or at this special event, but it's a, it's a term that means in your everyday existence. what new creatures do what a work that god has done so let's review where we've been okay first of all i want you to be challenged by the great work god has done in your life okay and uh, put that last slide for me jacob would you yeah god has done a work in your life calls it his masterpiece. Has invited you to himself in that way. I urge you, move towards him in intimacy. James says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. So a challenge for you in your intimacy with God this week, I want you to reflect on God's work in your life. Reflect upon who you were and who you now are. Praise God over what you came from, your dead corpse condition. And how God has raised you in your life. Some of us has been more recent than others, right? Some of us can remember very well what it was to be dead. It wasn't that long ago. Others of us, we've got we to reach way back. Way back to like our preschool years. Maybe help your, maybe ask your parents. No joke. Ask your mom and dad. Hey, what was I like before I got saved? They'll tell you. They remember very well. So reflect on who you were and who you are now. Secondly, I want you to consider in your life. This is under really both umbrellas of your community and your influence. I want you to reflect in your life. And look for two people. Two people. One, a believer that you can remind them of God's work in their life. 
send them a card, send them a note, send them an email, send them a text. You find a believer and remind them of God's work. And the second person I want to challenge you towards is what dead corpse do you know who needs Jesus? Name him. Name her. Write a name down of a dead person that you know. And may God give us an opportunity to point them to Jesus and his word that they might come to know him and they might have intimacy with God, community with others, and influence in their world. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you, Lord, for the great work that you've done in our lives, the masterpiece that you have made us. God, you have changed our very nature and you have made us alive by your grace. Thank you, Lord, for the grace of Christ that went to the cross on our behalf. For the grace of Christ that's ready and willing to receive the one, maybe, who realizes today that they're not dependent upon your work, they're dependent upon themselves. And God, they need to look to the finished work on the cross and receive what you have done and that you might make them a brand new creature. You do this, Lord. You do it. We thank you for your grace in Jesus' name. Amen.